Well, good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us here today. Earlier this week, Alberta began our pushback against Ottawa's disastrous draft electricity regulations, and I'm pleased to be here with Rebecca Schultz, our Minister of Environment and Protected Areas, to as well as our Minister of Affordability and Utilities, Nathan Newdorf, to share the details with you. By now, you're all aware of Ottawa's proposed electricity regulations, which are intended to force rapid and risky changes on the nation's power grid by 2035. Calling their plans poorly conceived doesn't begin to touch on their injustice. They are disastrously uninformed and totally disconnected from reality. If implemented, the proposed federal electricity regulations will stick Canadian families and businesses with unaffordable bills and provincial governments with crushing debt. And the grid itself, based on unreliable energy sources, will risk leaving many of us shivering in the darkness in the dead of winter or sweating it out in plus 30 weather in the summer. There are a few major facts that deserve to be widely known. First is the cost of Canada's electricity systems has been built up over decades. Radically redesigning them in 12 years would cost Canadians at least a trillion dollars and possibly as much as $1.7 trillion. Alberta would bear the largest cost of any province, estimated at coming anywhere between $200 billion to more than $400 billion. And those expenses would ultimately end up being passed on to you. Albertans, everyone, from single parents to nonprofits to small businesses. How governments, families, and businesses would be able to pay for all of this is beyond me. I suspect it's beyond Ottawa, too. In their rush to serve narrow ideological interests and pat themselves on the back, they didn't stop to think about the consequences for Canadians. The second main issue is the replacement energy sources that we are meant to use. We know that Alberta is a destination of choice for energy development of all kinds, and we're proud to use multiple sources of energy. But we also need to be realistic. Wind and solar are intermittent. Energy storage technology has not advanced to overcome that, meaning electricity supplies could simply stop repeatedly and dangerously. In Alberta, we do not have enough non-emitting baseload electricity available from hydroelectric or nuclear. And there's not enough time to build that by 2035. Even with plentiful uh, natural gas, our grid has had 10 level three alerts since 2022. Stable electricity supplies depend on a diverse mix of baseload power sources that are always ready to go. This will become truer as demand for electricity soars in the future and renewables can't carry the load. So under the proposed changes, our province would be left at risk of blackouts and brownouts at the mercy of minus 30 degree deep freezes during the coldest months of the the winter and plus 30 degree heat waves in the hottest months of summer. These are facts that Ottawa chooses to ignore. It's also worth noting that legislating and regulating the development of electricity is exclusively a provincial responsibility under our constitution. And no good intentions can make up for overstepping the limits of the law. The federal electricity regulations will create a system that is massively unaffordable, dangerously unreliable, and utterly unconstitutional. Canadians need to know the facts about what's at stake here, and we're ensuring that they will. Alberta's government has launched a public awareness campaign across the country to inform Canadians of Ottawa's reckless and costly plan. We are running print, radio, television, and social media ads, along with billboards and bus wraps. These highlight how the regulations will make 
it more expensive for Canadians by increasing power bills. It'll drive off investment in jobs, and it will threaten the reliability of our power grid and put it at risk. And as we all begin to feel the temperatures dip and the wind grow cooler, having just come off uh, a summer with, uh, with heat waves, we are reminded that we live in a country of extremes. Our campaign urges everyone to contact their MPs and, and have their say so that Ottawa can hear how many people are deeply concerned. Alberta is determined to reduce emissions. Our province, of a, uh, our province cut electricity emissions by 53% between 2005 and 2021. And we're enacting a plan to create a reliable and affordable carbon-neutral power grid by 2050. The key words here are reliable and affordable. Anything else will lead to ruin for Canadian families, businesses, and the economy. We cannot afford to stay quiet on this. While we are expanding our efforts to affect change from Justin Trudeau and Stephen Guibault, we remain committed to working with the federal government to lower emissions. Our governments do not disagree on the importance of reducing emissions. We do not disagree on reaching a target by 2050. We continue to have our conversations together. We do, however, disagree on the timeline and pace of the interim targets and the possible impossible expectations placed on Alberta's Albertans on their wallets on technologies and on Alberta's power grid however grand the vision it must be realistic and this is not realistic we will do our best to help Canadians realize we will do our best to help Canadians realize that we have to demand better within the high-risk, punishing costs, and questionable outcomes from the national government. Now, Minister Schultz will have more to say, and then we'll take questions. We'll ask her to come up now. Well, thank you so much, Premier. When it comes to the clean electricity regulations, the federal Liberal government is completely disregarding the top concerns of Canadians, affordability and energy reliability. This will mean Canadians will pay more with the risk of being left in the dark. This is expensive, unreasonable, ideological, and quite frankly, it is dangerous. The federal government continues to ignore the potential costs of these unaffordable regulations. Economists can't even seem to agree on a number because it's based on technology that doesn't yet exist. But all estimates thus far are staggering. The Public Policy Forum pegged the costs at over $1 trillion. The Conference Board of Canada previously estimated up to $1.7 trillion. Everything we've seen from the federal government shows they simply don't care how or how much Canadians will need to pay for their costly ambitions. In fact, ATCO's CEO said this week, Ottawa is masking the true cost of its energy transition. Now, who's going to pay for a $1.7 trillion transition? Well, it's Canadians and Albertans, whether it be on their power bills or through their taxes. Make no mistake, these regulations will hurt Alberta more than anyone else. Ottawa's own modeling shows we will face the largest costs, but we absolutely are not alone. Saskatchewan, Ontario, and the Maritime Provinces will be deeply impacted, and all Canadians right across our country will feel the sting. Now, to cram in those enormous costs all before 2035 will mean massive power bill increases for families, seniors, and businesses, and it will be harder to get the investments we need to actually reduce emissions in the years ahead. Now to reliability. Minister Wilkins said just last week at the World Petroleum Congress that we should be like Germany. 
Germany, who is phasing out natural gas for more wind and solar. Now, with all due respect, as the Premier also shared, Canadians don't want to be in the position of Germany. Germany, California, Texas, what we see in those places is rolling blackouts and rationing power. Now, without reliable natural gas, Germany has become the world's worst performing major developed economy, with both the IMF and the European Union expecting it to shrink this year. Germany is also now going back and ramping up coal-fired generation to meet their demands. Even today, with demand only a fraction of what it will be in the coming decades, Alberta will not be able to operate without natural gas. Last year, our grid had seven grid alerts during the colder months, and during the summer, we had three more. Now, that's with natural gas, generating more than 72% of our electricity. Today, ASO released its analysis of the federal regulations. The regulator was also crystal clear. It found that these regulations will make electricity less reliable, leaving Alberta at risk of a large-scale blackouts, putting lives at risk and risking billions of dollars in economic output in jeopardy. Now, we will not embark on this ideological plan that could leave Albertans and Canadians rationing power during the coldest days of the year. Now, we talk about blackouts and brownouts, but let's talk about what that actually means. Think of a mom awake with her baby in the middle of the night, and she can't turn on the lights. Think about rationing. Again, Germany, Texas, California at times of high demand. That means for everyday Canadian families, those times of high demand being between 4 and 9 p.m. That's homework, school pickup, hockey, soccer, piano, dinner, all in the dark. That is a risk that we just won't take. But if these regulations are not changed, Canadians will almost certainly see this as their new daily reality. Now, over the last few months, Minister Guibault has claimed that these regulations are flexible. They allow fossil fuels past 2035 if they're needed. And that is not realistic. And I do believe Ottawa knows it. In practice, these regulations will make it commercially impossible for most natural gas plants to operate. Many will be commercially forced to simply retire their plants before 2035. Now, I just want to walk you through one last example. The draft regulations allow for unabated generation for up to 450 hours or 18 days a year. This is what the federal government says is flexibility flexibility for emergencies. So what about emergencies? What if we need natural gas to go over the 18 days? And let's be clear, if this rule were in place this year, Alberta's grid would have used up all 18 days before the end of January. January is cold. January is dark. 18 days. So on January 19th, when the wind isn't blowing, the sun isn't shining, and we need natural gas baseload peaker capacity, the federal minister is saying, don't worry, we can make exceptions but it's Ottawa who will decide. So in a country like ours, during the coldest months of the year, when we can no longer provide natural gas thanks to the peaker cap, the expectation is that someone will have to call Minister Guibault in the middle of the night to get permission to provide power to Albertans. Now, just when you think that couldn't get more convoluted, Minister Guibault has already hinted that non-compliance with these federal electricity regulations, turning on the power for Albertans and Canadians, could be seen as a violation of the criminal code. Now, luckily, our Premier, Premier Smith, has said no one will go to jail for keeping the lights on here in Alberta. Unfortunately, Ottawa doesn't feel the same. The bottom line is that these, just, these rules just don't work. Changes are absolutely needed, and they're necessary to keep us from the dark. So why this campaign? 
For years, we've asked Ottawa to listen to Albertans and Canadians, to work with Alberta and other provinces right across our country. We've repeatedly recommended ways to reduce emissions without threatening affordability and reliability, to put common sense and the well-being of Canadians first. Unfortunately, we've been ignored. And so have other provinces, other organizations, and everyday people right across our country. This national advertising campaign is necessary because hearing from Canadians, yes, here in the prairies, but right across our country, is the only way the federal government can be convinced to actually consider affordability and reliability in the decisions that they're making. They need to hear from Eastern and Atlantic Canada about their very real concerns. We're committed as Premier said, to reducing emissions. We're committed to stewarding our environment for future generations, but the federal politicians have not been honest about the costs and trade-offs of their policies. They give talking points, and they fail to give facts. We won't ask for permission to heat our homes and keep our lights on. Not here. And we won't support regulations that send costs soaring and leave Canadians, as we said, in the dark. We need to have this honest conversation about the risks and the path forward. And this campaign is part of that because there absolutely is a better way forward. Now, as Premier said, electricity emissions are already falling rapidly in Alberta alone. We have reduced electricity emissions by 53%. We can keep electricity affordable and reliable, but we need common sense. Canadians deserve better, and we're asking them to tell the feds that changes are needed. Thank you so much, and I'll pass things on over to Sam to open the floor for questions. Thank you. Uh, we'll start off with questions uh, from the floor here. We're running tight on time today, uh, but we're going to get through as many questions as we can. Um, one question, one follow-up. Please make sure to state your name and outlet uh, before your question. And as well, please address your question to the Premier, Minister Schultz, or Minister Newdorf. And we'll start off at the mic. Sure. Alana Smith, Globe and Mail. Um, I have the same question as yesterday, but mm-hmm. I'll just give some background. So... The Globe submitted a FOIP asking for basic information on how freedom of information requests are tracked in Alberta. For the second time, Alberta has rejected this information request. Now, in June, after we published on the first rejection, you had said you were going to look into what happened. Can you say what came of that? Sure. So um, I understand that the Robin Doolittle information you're looking for is data in multiple places. So there isn't a single report, but Service Alberta and Dale Nally is prepared to work with you to get the information that you need. Um, I've talked to Nathan Newdorf about the other study that you're looking for. It was a contractual agreement with the consultant. They've, um, they've asked us to, they, we signed a non-disclosure agreement. So the consultant has told us that they do not want that report re- released. But I did ask Nathan Newdorf if he would work with you to give you whatever information it is that you need. Look, we want to be transparent. And so if you want to work with us to get the information that you need to be able to get the answers, great. But we also have to make sure that uh, the report exists. It's going to take a bit of effort to be able to draw the information together in the first case. And also that we're not disclosing what will be um, competitive business information. And so that's an obligation on us as well when it comes to protection of privacy. Sure. So I'm going to focus just on the Robin Doolittle and Tom Cardoso freedom of information request just for basic information. I do understand that the government has promised something, but I also understand that it's not through the FOI process. It's actually going to be treated as a media request, which obviously regular citizens can't use and isn't subject to any laws or obligations or requirements to disclose. So I'm just wondering why the government is trying to limit its obligations under the Freedom of Information Act. Well, as, as I understand it there, I mean, if we had a compilation of, the, of a report then we would obviously work with you to release that. But we don't have the data compiled. They're going through the process of compiling what you need, and you can work with Service Alberta to be able to to, to get the information. 
So sorry, just a quick follow-up um, for my first question. Did anything come from what you had said you were going to do in June? Was there like any sort of formal inquiry launch or an assessment or anything like that in terms of the FOI system? Look, look I, I've talked to my my team and I've talked to my executive director, uh, my executive, uh, our chief executive, uh, chief of executive council, my DM of executive council, and we want to give information to media on what our government is doing. We want to be open and we want to be transparent. But we also know that the other side of freedom of information is protection of privacy. So we have an obligation to the privacy commissioner to make sure that we're, we're meeting those targets too. So yes, in, if we've got isolated problems, then we'll work with each minister to make sure that you get the information that you need. Hi, uh, Sean Polzer, Western Standard. Uh, this is either for the Premier or Minister Schultz. Um, any thoughts on the carbon management framework uh, that was dropped in Paris yesterday, uh, which includes uh, supposedly a regulated emissions cap? And uh, what happens if they actually introduce an emissions cap on oil and gas specifically while you are doing the roundtable discussions? Well, we have we've been very clear that we believe these discussions have to happen at the table. And we are working towards net neutrality by 2050. I think that that is the target that we're going to continue working towards. And we have already got an emissions cap on our oil sands, as if, for instance, it's a 100 megaton emissions cap on our oil sands. We've already phased out coal. So that's another way in which we've dramatically reduced our emissions. And so I, I think we're asking for the federal government to have a little bit of goodwill as we go into these negotiations and participate with them uh, with us in good faith. We've we've told them we we do not want to see them drop a an aggressive methane emissions target that is not negotiated at the table. We do not want to see them drop a unilateral emissions uh, cap and we do not want to, to and we want to carve out on these clean electricity regs. Those are the things that we're going to the table with. We had a, a meeting of our deputies uh, earlier this week. We'll be getting an update as a um, as a, uh, a cabinet committee in the uh, before the end of the day, but I'm hopeful that our message is getting through. We want to work collaboratively, but we also are going to defend our constitutional jurisdiction, which includes our right to determine the pace of our energy development as well as our electricity generation. Um, the premier of Newfoundland and Labrador apparently was at a job fair in uh, Fort Mac mm -hmm. yesterday and urging Newfoundlanders to come back home. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, he met with me beforehand to tell me he was going to do that. Yeah, fair is fair because we're doing our Alberta's calling campaign. And uh, we we have a great relationship with uh, with Newfoundland and Labrador. We know that uh, there's been a lot of times when they have relied on being able to have secure jobs in Alberta in order to be able to feed their families. And if uh, they're going to continue to see uh, a growth in their energy sector, you know, we're supportive of the healthy competition. And fish and chips. <laughs> I haven't kissed the cod yet, but I have had, have had some screech coffee. <laughs> Trapper John's on George Street if you want to kiss the cod. Just giving you a thank, John. Me being an old drinker, I know all the spots. Um, I know you said in the past, and it was said again today, that uh, Alberta is not going to, if, if the regulations remain the same, Alberta is not going to follow it. Could you be uh, uh, clear about what that actually means. So if it comes to the regulations, regulations, they are draft regulations, they're what the federal government announces and they announce they're going to do it, how concretely, how far is Alberta willing to go to make sure that Albertans will not be subject to uh, 
the federal government's regulations. It well, remain the same. How no, far are you willing to go? You know, I'm hinting Sovereignty Act and things like oh. that, just to just to sort of coach you along. But oh, I mean, look, what do you think? <laughs> That's what I mean, because you, you've talked about it and you've said you have lots of hope that, that things are better and you have all kinds of friends in the government, but every two weeks there's evidence to the contrary that they're just continuing to do what they want to do. So, Well, we're, prever- we're preparing a Sovereignty Act motion and I'm hoping we don't have to use it. That's why we're at the table having these negotiations. But we are going to defend our constitutional jurisdiction to make sure that we develop our, our, our oil and gas industry at our own pace and that we develop our electricity system so that it achieves the goal of reliability and affordability. And look, we are in alignment with a carbon neutral by 2050 target. So, But we, we also know that uh, we have to work with industry and the pace that they are doing their capital turnover um, at the pace that new technology becomes available. And our number one objective is to make sure that we do not have blackouts in winter or summer and to make sure that uh, people have reliable and affordable energy. So uh, we're prepared to use a Sovereignty Act motion. I just hope we don't have to. And uh, with this and other campaigns and, and speeches, et cetera, you, you've talked, both uh, you and Minister Schultz have talked about how this is an ideological mission that it seems to be the federal government is on. So given that fact, how realist, uh, how much hope do you have that you're going to be able to sway the feds? Or are you just uh, saying prayers every night that uh, <laughs> there's a change in government in Ottawa <laughs> before all this happens? <laughs> I, I think there's a few things I'm hopeful about. Uh, one is I'm, uh, I think that we can work very well together on uh, an investment tax credit for carbon capture utilization and storage. I've already indicated that we'll be rolling ours out when I go to COP28 uh, this, uh, later this year. And we're, we're asking the federal government to, to be able to meet that same target so that the industry has some certainty around carbon capture utilization and storage. The, we also know that uh, we, we can work very well together on net zero projects. I, uh, I've been in recent touch with um, Minister Champagne about uh, the final investment decision that Dow Chemical is wanting to make. And we're working very well on that. Remember, Dow Chemical is a net zero petrochemical plant. He's also very excited about the net zero hydrogen air products. Um, So I think we can work very well on both of those types of major projects. We have a major hydrogen conference that happens every year. Jonathan Wilkinson drives a hydrogen vehicle. I think we can work collaboratively on building out our hydrogen infrastructure. I think that that is all going to be positive. Uh, I've talked to the prime minister about small modular nuclear I've talked to, we've also talked to Ontario and uh, Saskatchewan and New Brunswick about that as well, so that when that technology becomes available, which is as soon as 2028, we'd be looking at having a regulatory framework in place in order to uh, potentially deploy it. Uh, Minister Schultz just announced a $7 million research grant to Synovus to see how we might be able to roll it out at their facilities. And I have been in touch with um, both uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And also uh, Premier Eby in British Columbia about the potential to improve our interties so that we can bring in hydroelectric from both sides and potentially even uh, nuclear uh, from uh, from Saskatchewan and, Ma- and Manitoba as well. And uh, we're working with uh, Premier Eby on uh, Article 6. I mean, I, I didn't love Jonathan Wilkinson's speech last week, but one of the things I did love is that he talked about Article 6. He talked about how we might be able to work with other nations to reduce emissions from coal and wood and dung uh, and replace it with uh, clean burning natural gas. 
Uh, when I was at the World Petroleum Congress, I've sp- I spoke with delegations from Korea, from Malaysia, from Indonesia, from uh, Japan, uh, the, that uh, and to begin the conversation about how we might be able to, to share credit. We've made it very clear that if we were to have any relationship with uh, with China, and Minister Guibo went there recently, uh, that his message should be that we would be able to decarbonize their grid by going to natural gas from from coal. And that would also, if we could share credit, we'd be able to reduce emissions across Canada. So I'm putting all of these things on the table because we are genuinely interested in finding a collaboration. And that is why uh, we're very frustrated that the uh, the federal government continues to be ideological about this. We, we should be practical about this. If we have the same end target then let's just find the, the best way to get there and because there's lots of ways to get there. Hi, Premier Josh McLean, CBC News. Um, so you mentioned you're preparing a Sovereignty Act motion. Um, what does that look like and at what point would it potentially get invoked? Well, it would be uh, – um, there's a couple of things. Um, I have said that if they come through with emissions caps that are unconstitutional – I've said this from the beginning – as I said this during the leadership race, I said this when we introduced the Sovereignty Act, that I had a couple of hard lines. Uh, the, they had proposed an emissions uh, cap that was unreasonable on fertilizer, and they've dropped that because they realized that food production is at risk. And so we're pleased to see that they were being uh, reasonable and practical about that. They continued to talk about a 42% emissions reduction by 2030 on oil and, and natural gas. That is not on. They are talking about 75% plus emissions reduction on methane by 2030. We've already achieved a goal of, we set out a goal of, of reducing emissions 45%, we're at 44%. We, we've demonstrated good faith that we're there. That is also not on. And these clean electricity regs, which would be a net zero cap by 2035, also not on. So that's why we're continuing with the negotiation. If we can get aligned on 2050, then we won't have to build a fence to protect our constitutional jurisdiction. And so it falls in their court. Um, that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And at the moment, we're still having discussions, and they haven't dropped anything unilaterally, and we hope that continues, because then we can continue our conversation. Okay, and as Minister Schultz uh, mentioned, there are provisions in the draft for regulation to use natural gas in case of emergency with some limitations. If that was loosened and more um, authority given to Alberta to make those decisions, would that be enough for you and your government? On, let, on let me tell you what they're proposing. So um, if you go from 450 hours, which is 18 days, to 650 hours, which is, um, I don't know, like 30 days, so now you're turning off the lights at the end of January as opposed to the middle of January. I don't think that that's going to be sufficient for Albertans. So what we are looking for is an alignment around 2050 to be carbon neutral because we understand how this is going to work. So what is here's here's how a practical approach to get to the end target. We know that we can use carbon capture utilization and storage, but it's not perfect technology yet. They're asking for perfection starting out of the gate. They want it to be 95% effective by 2035 as if there isn't going to be incremental learning along the way. There will be, but we have to that'll get us a large uh, portion of the way there. But we also have to develop our uh, our framework for how we would bring nuclear. We have to do a broad-based consultation on nuclear. We've never had nuclear in this province before. We have to make sure we have social license to do that as well. 
the earliest that the small modulars are going to be available are by 2028. So that will form part of the mix as we continue to go forward. And then the incredible work that they're doing at Avatar Innovations for direct air capture. They've got two projects that are finalists for Elon Musk's $100 million X Prize for doing direct air capture. I look at that as potentially being the last mile, that we do as much as we can to abate emissions through the ways that I've talked about, and then the, the last mile might be direct air capture. That's the kind of constructive and mutually beneficial conversation we want to have with Ottawa. And if we can do that, then I, I think we can come together on an agreement and we can reach that target of net zero by 2050. Premier, ministers, uh, you answered a bit of this already, but I was curious that compromise uh, mm -hmm. regarding 2035. What What is the compromise Alberta will be seeking at the, uh, at the table with the feds before pressing the nuclear option, as Rick calls it? Well, I would say we're, we, we're putting it out there that we think 2050 is reasonable and realistic. We've talked to a number of our electricity producers. Um, Capital Power, as a for instance, is one that believes that they can get to net zero by 2045. And if you look at what their plan is, it's very much what I described. Carbon capture utilization and storage, bringing on uh, renewables, bringing on small modular nuclear, and direct air capture for the last mile. So we're taking our cues from industry. What we find frustrating is they started with a target and didn't consult industry. And then as they consulted with industry, industry said, uh, we can't do this. And they said, we don't care. And so we're trying to make them understand that you, you, you have to work with, with reality. You have to work with practicality. You have to make sure that reliability, affordability, and emissions go hand in hand in hand. And that's what we're working on. Uh, one of the consequences, I guess, that's being talked about in this campaign is higher energy bills. But right now, Alberta, Albertans, many Albertans are seeing uh, very high energy bills regarding the regulated rate option. I'm curious what the work looks like right now uh, at the provincial level to address the regulated rate option and uh, perhaps some relief for some Albertans who are seeing some pretty high energy bills right now. Well, let's just remember the NDP wrecked our power grid. They destroyed its reliability because they had an aggressive and early target to phase out coal. We built a, a power grid. We built a power grid that was built on having uh, a large amount of baseload power. And instead, we now have a power grid that is built on intermittent power. And so what happens is that when wind and solar rush onto the grid, the ISO is left trying to juggle whether it's going to be there or not. And what happens in the meantime when, it comes to, when the wind comes down early or the sun stops shining? How do we race to put the peaker plants on so that we don't end up with a lack of reliability? That is the nature of what we have with our power grid right now. It's the reason why... Typically, we would have zero or one alert per year until the NDP wrecked this. And now we are, had, in the last year, 10 alerts. And we are at the final stage of, putting the, of having the last of the coal plants coming off, off grid. And this is the reason why we keep talking about baseload power. So let me tell you, I mean, when we announced our pause, we had 23,000 megawatts of wind and solar in the queue. We now have 41,000 megawatts of wind and solar in the queue. And no baseload natural gas. And I talked to an operator yesterday, and they said it's too risky for us to invest in natural gas. Because who knows, in 2035, if we find that we aren't able to get to 95% emissions abatement, boards of directors are not going to allow those CEOs to go to jail. So they're not going to make an investment decision today knowing that if they're not successful in 2035, they're going to go to jail. That is the nature of the problem that we have, is we have to bring baseload power on at the same time as we bring on wind and solar. And we cannot just build a grid based on nothing but wind and solar, because when the wind doesn't blow, you get nothing. 
When the sun doesn't shine, you get nothing. You have to be able to build the power grid so that when you have the maximum peak demand in winter at minus 30 and in summer at plus 30, electricity is there, whether or not the wind is blowing and the sun is shining. That's the nature of the problem that we have. And that's why we have to focus on getting our baseload power on stream, and that will normalize the prices. Because right now, we've created this market where we've got economic withholding, we've got wind and solar coming in at zero, we've got some that are going off stream, we have no planning going on, and as a result, we have the worst of both worlds. We have a lack of reliability and a lack of affordability, and we're going to fix all of that. And we have time for two more questions. We'll take one more from the floor, and then we'll go to the phones for our last question. Alex Dollywell, Rebel News. Uh, first, my only question is... Uh, either for the Premier or Minister Schultz. So a Toronto-based policy think tank, LFX Associates, says that phasing out Alberta natural gas from Ontario's power grid would cost the average household in that province $3,300 more in electricity costs Mm. by 2030. What conversations have your government had with the Doug Ford government in opposing those intermittent uh, net zero targets in 2035? Well, you know, I've talked to with all of my premierial counterparts, and they're all in a position where... Um, they, when you look at British, when you look at British Columbia, Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec, they all are in a position where 95% or more of their power grid is decarbonized, but they're also at maximum power. And so they have to face some of the same challenges that we do, that if you're going to continue to grow your economy and you're going to need to have 50% more power, how are you going to bring that on stream? It's not easy to develop hydroelectric power. As we've seen with Site C, that project got started in 1954 and it's still not completed today. We don't have the rollout yet of the small modular nuclear. So that's a challenge too. And so Doug Ford um, announced uh, 1,500 megawatts of power that is going to come on stream from natural gas. And I suppose they're taking the risk that they'll also be able to have it fully abated by by uh, by 2035. So th- this is a this is going to be a real problem across the, it's not just going to be an Alberta problem. It's uh, principally or most acutely felt in Alberta, but also felt in Saskatchewan, also felt in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick because they also have uh, a lot of hydrocarbon fuels on their power grid. And then how are we going to be able to keep up with growth? And we just want some consistency in the messaging. If we're going to be working to export our clean LNG to re- displace higher emissions fuels, then we should be doing the same thing in, in this country as well and be working on improving the abatement technology. That's where I, I would like to see us go. Um, but, the, uh, the you know, I, I haven't seen those numbers but it doesn't surprise me. Um, and everybody, and that's part of the reason we're doing this countrywide campaign. Everybody is going to end up paying more as a result of the lack of reliability, the intermittency, and the ideology that we're seeing the federal government impose. And we'll go to the phones for our last question here. Operator, could you please put through the caller? Masima Way, Radio Canada. Hello. Um, sorry, I'm going to ask you a question uh, for one of my coworkers, and it's regarding um, a statement, uh, a report that stated that Canada's greenhouse gas emission rose by 2% in 2022 from previ- previous year. Uh, why do we still see an increase in your opinion? This is what my coworker would like to know. I guess based on the fact that you do so much work, uh, well, we you hear me? we had a we had a 53% reduction in emissions on our power grid between um, af, uh, from since 2005. 
we've had a 45% emissions reduction in, in, our, uh, in our methane emissions. And so um, I think that we're demonstrating leadership. Some, sometimes you have to wait for the technology to develop. We've got uh, uh, projects at scale that are capturing and, and storing CO2, and we'll see more of that. But some of the technology just doesn't exist yet. We've got a network of approvals for carbon capture pore space, and as we make approvals of building pipelines, you'll be able to see that those emissions will reduce. We uh, are starting the process of rolling out hydrogen. We've done a, an expression of interest to build out hydrogen fueling stations. As we start rolling those out, you'll see emissions reduction. And as uh, some of the other technologies become available, the, the thing is you have, to, you have to be able to implement technology as it's available. You can't speed that up. And uh, being first in the market is uh, expensive. It takes time. So that's perhaps some of the reason why, why we're seeing that. But I think Alberta has demonstrated a lot of leadership in being able to reduce emissions quite dramatically over the, the last 20 years. Did you want to comment, Minister? Yeah, just to clarify, you know, uh, this independent study is one that was funded by Minister Gibo's department. And so, you know, I think keeping in mind that this is uh, a study funded by ECCC uh, is one important piece. But when you look at actual emissions reduction, uh, we have data, independent analysis uh, from SMP Global that suggests that our per barrel emissions have actually gone down in the oil sands by 23%. Uh, again, it speaks to the amazing leadership that Alberta has been providing, not only across Canada, um, but around the world, as the Premier has said, whether it be on emissions reduction in our oil sands, um, that per barrel emissions number is a far more accurate reflection of the technology and innovation that's happening there. But then we also have to talk about energy reliability and security around the world. We see global demand going up. And as we see emissions reduction per barrel going down here in Alberta, I would just say that that's another argument that those barrels to meet worldwide demand, worldwide demand, sorry, should be coming from our province and our country. And was there a follow-up, Nasima? Regarding the Sovereignty Act, what what are you going to write on this motion since you are preparing it? What are you going to well, require? Hopefully no one ever has to see it. Hopefully that we're able to come to a, a peaceful resolution with our federal counterparts where they recognize our constitutional jurisdiction and we work together on a 2050 target. That's uh, That's what we're working towards right now. But I can, I can tell you the fact that we continue to see aggressive and hostile announcements that seem to indicate that they're not respecting and coming to the table in good faith. We have to prepare for the alternative. Thank you. And that's all the, that's all the time that we have for questions today. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, everyone, for joining us.